The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the home for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code worth 10% off your next order at fansets.com. Fansets, our pins have character. We're still in 2024 and you can tell by the driving in Los Angeles. We have bus rides, we have police chases, we have a special reunion and a really comfy looking bar. Oh yeah, and guess what? Punk rock still hates you. I'm Mike Bovia and this is Discovering Trek Picard. Thanks for joining us on Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Universe Companion, presented by Fansets. Uh, so this week's episode, there was really no need for any allegory, as everything that we saw was pretty much scenes that we're all too familiar with in today's world. So as we get into discussing it, let me introduce our esteemed roundtable of co-hosts uh, a couple weeks back i said that mike thurlow was the hardest working man on the network and i wasn't wrong however the sci-fi sisters have been blowing us away with their multiple appearances on podcasts on uh on special live streams uh, on star trek cruises they are getting big time celebrity guests so our celebrity guest today is from the Sci-Fi Sisters. Welcome for her debut on Discovering Trek, Fran Taylor. And Fran, so great to have you joining us today to discuss this episode of Picard. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Um, I, I love Picard, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys to discuss this episode is really something. Well, as so we thank you for me. Oh, you're welcome. As we discussed before we even started recording, don't thank us too soon. Cause you have to spend the next uh, 40 some minutes talking to us. So no, I can do that. <laughs> There's nothing introverted about me. Okay. Just okay. Moment. Very good. <laughs> So the aforementioned Mike Thurlow is back with us this week after attempting to drive across three states last week to join us. And then he quickly discovered that it really wasn't worth it to hang out with me and Jamie. If anything, <laughs> he was trying to uh, have the thrill of working with Casey. Welcome back, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It's great to be back. Uh, I did miss you guys. It was hard not to be here last week, uh, but I will say you all did a great job with last week's show so i enjoyed listening to it uh after the fact well we had an old pro on with us and uh hopefully casey's listening i'll try to emphasize the old part for him uh and finally <laughs> i'm finding it tougher and tougher to tie my co-host into the current episodes for his introduction but after his 15 minutes of fame on local cable television commercials 
He's ready to fill in for Kirk Thatcher as the punk on the bus, if necessary. <laughs> Jamie, you, if you're going to do that, you really got to start working on growing your hair out, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and I'd have to grow the beard, too. I can't do like the Casey look where he, you know, looked like he was trimming the mustache and stuff like that. So well, they, go, they I'd could, have to go full beard. Makeup could probably do something about yeah, that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Because I got to believe that Kirk Thatcher didn't uh, re-dye all of his hair for that. Uh, I'm no. sure it was either a uh, a wash-in, wash-out, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, as is the thing, everybody loves our introductions. So, Jamie, if they want to tell us how they how much they like the introductions, where can they find us? Well, if you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find us at Discovering Trek, or you can join the conversation on Camp Kittimer. Just answer a few simple questions, and our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Fark, will let you in. And this is a reminder that this episode of Discovering Trek provides spoilers for the Picard episode, Watcher. If you have not watched yet, head over to Paramount Plus and watch the episode, and then head back. Failure to do so leaves you open to spoilers and trying to read that leaves you open to twisting your tongue with that many times saying watcher episode 204 of star Trek Picard watcher aired March 24th, 2022. The teleplay was written by Juliana James and Jane Maggs. The story was by Travis Fickett and Juliana James and directed by Leah Thompson. With time running out to save the future, Picard takes matters into his own hands and seeks out an old friend for help. Meanwhile, Rios ends up on the wrong side of the law, and Girati makes a deal with the Borg Queen. So we've already a little bit offline talked about uh, this episode. So we will start off with Fran. Fran, thumbs up or thumbs down on this episode, and why do you feel that way? Well, uh, thumbs way up, both thumbs. I really love this episode. And as you said, it's not really an allegory. I, it was pretty much straightforward. You know, you didn't have to, okay, okay are they talking about? No, you didn't. Mm -hmm. So I really love this episode. And it spoke to me personally. And I might get a little emotional about it, but it really spoke to me personally um, as far as the uh, young lady that played the young whoopee, something she said mm. hit me in the in the face. Yep. You know, and uh so thumbs up. What can I say? Well we're all here for you if the emotions start to overcome you. Uh I think I think we can all help prop you up if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, how about you? I'm gonna say yes on the thumbs up. Easter eggs all over the place. Kirk Thatcher on the uh, punk on the bus was fantastic. Uh, I love how they even updated the song. So <laughs> I still hate you. Um, fantastic. Um, 21st street mission, a nod to city on the edge of forever. Awesome. The Jackson Roy Kirk Plaza. So a, a nod to Jackson Roy Kirk, you know, the famous 21st century creator of nomad from TOS, the changeling. I love all the Gary seven references from assignment earth you know, with the watchers and, um, and then all the way right up to the end, the book, um, of that blonde that was reading the, the book in front of Q, the pallid son, a Dixon Hill mystery. 
by Star Trek TNG writer Tracy Torme. Just awesome, you know. Um, so I, I love this episode. I love Easter eggs. I loved all the Voyage Home references all over the place, and and I just loved. I you know I'm really really loving Allison Pill more and more, and I just love that on her own she's jousting with Patrick Stewart from an acting standpoint, and then she goes jousting with the board queen Annie Warshing at another point just her with one other actor she's holding her own and Mm -hmm. um i think she's just fantastic so i give this episode two two thumbs up okay so now that jamie's taken uh every single point that we could talk about today we can all go home (laughs) mike how about your thumbs up or thumbs down definitely two thumbs up for me uh yeah, Jamie just pretty much covered it all, but uh, no. Um, I actually, you know, your your comment about the allegory being not really an allegory this week, really, uh, that's something, as I watched it th- earlier today in preparation for this for a second time, it really hit me even more, uh, the things that uh, Guinan was saying and how mm-hmm. she was saying it. Uh, really, um, yeah definitely uh hit the nail on the head um of the world that we're living in now and and while i really like that i i struggle with that a little bit because star trek is usually about allegory and you can kind of make your own uh Mm -hmm. opinions about it or or interpret it how you want to and and in this episode there was really no interpretation needed Mm -hmm. um but it was still a great star trek adventure uh i really enjoyed rafi and seven's adventures uh in uh in uh the the police van uh the police vehicle the only thing that i think bothered me was that she she only knew the gas or at least you know the gas was the only thing that she had her foot on and uh you know she didn't you know until gerardi told her to stop that was the only time i could think that she used the brakes like there was it was just go there was one speed and there was you know so uh, i thought that that was kind of funny and i agree with jamie uh allison pill is just killing it and um being not a a, uh, as big of a fan of, as the rest of you were prior to season two, I have become a huge fan of 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 Girardi this season, and for all the reasons that Jamie said, uh, her acting chops are top notch, and uh, she can hold her own with Patrick Stewart, Annie Wershing, mm. uh, just about anybody at this point. And uh, I hope she does get to get out of the. La Serena what, slash whatever it's called in in that in the alternate timeline, but uh, to see her interact and do some other interactions uh, with uh, other characters. So um, yeah, great great episode. Leah Thompson was amazing in directing this, yeah. and uh, yeah, uh, and uh, you know the new guy in Ito Aguirre, I think is how. I said to say it earlier, but she was amazing. So a uh, great episode. Yeah, I got to I got to echo all three of you on this. Um, definitely thumbs up for me. Uh, saying what Jamie said, callbacks galore in this episode. And, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about it a little bit later in the awards section, but I, I like that the writers and producers 
are using the callbacks as a means to tell the story instead of just putting them in there as eye candy for people, you know? Um, Cause that's one of the things that everyone talked about when um, season one Picard came on, that they were hoping that they didn't just throw TNG characters in there for the sake of throwing them in there, that there was a purpose behind it. And I kind of feel like they're doing the same thing here with some of the callback stuff that they're doing or the Easter egg things. It's helping tell the story. Um, but again, I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get to the awards. Please specify how you would like to proceed, sir. So key points from this episode that stood out to you, uh, Mike, we'll start with you. What did you, what were some of the key points you saw, you saw in this episode? I think, uh, uh, going back to my Girardi comment, uh, when she and Picard were in the Chateau and that whole conversation, I just thought that that was a really, uh, poignant conversation, really powerful, uh, both from her perspective and Patrick Stewart's uh, just to have that, uh, you know, and I forget how Picard put it, but just visiting the future tomorrows or, um, or maybe he said that mm-hmm. later on with, with Guinan, but um, visiting yesterday's past um, essentially he's in the past, but he's also in the, in his mind, he's in the past. So I thought that that was really powerful. Um, powerful conversation. And, uh, the other, the other piece of that I really enjoyed was the kind of callback. I think it was to cause and effect, um, where the number 15 came up so many times. Oh, uh, good you know, catch. Uh, yeah. So that kind of repeating piece of data finally caught on to in cause and effect with Kelsey grammar, uh, the, the threes in this case, it's 15s and how that, sort of and then you know you don't catch it the first time so i watched it really Mm -hmm. that part really closely the second time and how you do see her moving the the abacus and then you you watch her pick out the you know the volume of the britannica and then also the 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 wine and i just thought it was really uh really great and that picard kind of put that all together could see all of that and uh and recognize that so that was a really uh great scene for me, the other scene really was uh, when uh, Guinan and Picard were doing the donations and Guinan was just talking about the world as it is and how she saw the world. And And I'll talk a little bit more about this later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard not to feel like Guinan uh, in this episode. It's really, uh, and I think that that's both a, a testament to the writers, but also to the acting. Uh, to to just feel exactly what Ganon was feeling and a bit of that hopelessness at times um uh is uh is um is really powerful so that that kind of got me emotional just listening to her words and um you know it's uh those are two of the standouts for me i mean i already talked about the police chase scene was really exciting and um you know, Girardi and the queen going at it. I mean, mm. so yeah, it was, it was really, I actually like this one better than last week's. Although after watching last week's a couple of times, I did I grow to appreciate that episode more. 
I think last week's episode kind of had the problem of following two really exciting episodes in the opening sequence. Uh, so it felt a little bit slower last week to me, but this, uh, this week it felt like full speed ahead. Like we're moving things along and, uh, even the preview for next week is uh, even uh, a little bit darker. So, uh, mm. uh, yeah, those are, those are some of the things that I, I saw. I'm, I'm excited to hear what, what else stand, stood out for you guys. Mm. Jamie. Well, I, obviously, I think a big standout for me in this episode was the whole Guinan situation. And, you know, I, I think Ito did a very nice job. And I actually appreciated her more the more times I watched it. And I, I think for me, I kind of was really hoping I knew we were going to see Guinan in the past. I really I knew that in the back of my head before we got to this episode. But I was really kind of hoping to see some sort of um Whoopi Goldberg, de-aging type technology. Um, and I was kind of a little disappointed, I think, the first time I saw it that they didn't try to do that. And, you know, so for me, it was like I wasn't really totally in love with her as a character when I first saw it of the the actress. Um, but I as I take a step back, it's kind of to me, it's like those were going to be difficult shoes to step into. And I wasn't going to be happy in the beginning with whoever they, they, they got to do it. Um, but as the more I watch it, like I said, the more stronger I feel that she kind of conveyed some of that attitude and that feeling that Whoopi uh, brought to that character. Um, you know, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of struggling with things like I, I love the episode times arrow. So for me to try, I'm trying to kind of wrap my head around the fact that she wouldn't know who Picard was even in the past, you mm -hmm. know, and I, I, obviously I've seen a lot of David Mack talking about his whole okay, scenario good. on Twitter about why she doesn't know who he is. And I'm still trying to kind of grasp that, but, um, I'm still kind of stuck in that time zero type of time frame. Um, some things I wasn't a huge fan of. I, I and I know I know Mike, you kind of talked about a little bit the, the car chase. I, I I did like certain parts of it, but I wasn't like a huge fan of it. Um, I think it was a little contrived. I think the 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 vehicle was a little too easy to steal. I mean, you're outside a police station and there's police officers all over the place and nobody's kind of noticing them breaking into this car. And I mean, even when they're driving away, peeling away, like nobody's even paying attention to it. I just thought it, and in 2024, the police would be all over that much sooner, much faster. You know, and I get it. It was, it was crazy. There, there has to be a spike strip somewhere. Well, you know, that was, that was what was coming into my brain. Yeah. I mean, why would we have uh, a thing down in a police state? I don't know. You know, it just, it, it kind of, to me, didn't make sense. And I get it that it was ramped up for action and it was ramped up to kind of create this scene. And, and it was done really for comedic value. You know, you want, people wanted to see that interaction between Rafi and, and seven and the arguing, but I wasn't a huge fan of that sequence um, for some reason. But another thing that I really liked about this episode is, is the voyage home parallels. And one I, I, I think of specifically is I think back to when Kirk was um, talking to Jillian Taylor in the restaurant and she asked him, you know, you, you must be from outer space. And he says, to, he basically tells her the complete truth, mm -hmm. which is absurd. Like to, to somebody in the 20th century, they're like, 
you're, you're lying. Obviously I don't believe you. And I like how they kind of did the same thing with Rios when he was talking mm-hmm. to the ice officer, he tells him the exact truth, but it sounds so crazy and ridiculous that nobody believes it. But I just love how they're just doing these subtle things that are callbacks to like the voyage home or assignment earth, or, you know, I, I just think that, um, those are great things that they're doing. And, you know, obviously we see the end of the episode with the blonde sitting in front of, um, you know, Q obviously I think she's the divergence. I think there's something obviously going on there, but what is wrong with Q? Why does his powers not work? Mm -hmm. Is it because she's somehow connected to Picard that they don't work? I don't know, but those are some, I think this episode raised so many questions, but it, it just, to your point, Mike, it just really propelled the story forward. So I got a comment there about, uh, about Q, um, because, you know, we, we watched the episodes on Thursday. Uh, this is now Saturday that we're recording. So we've had two and a half days of watching Twitter to see what everyone else has to say about the episode. And somebody pointed out, and I, I'm going to apologize because I can't remember who pointed it out, but um, they pointed out that we're kind of seeing a de-escalating of Q's powers progressively. Um, in the beginning, uh, he did the snap, and we see the flash of him uh, aging for Picard. And then later, they're in the courtyard, and he snaps, and there's no flash but they change to a different setting. Now he snaps and nothing happens. So, and again, something you mentioned, Jamie, the subtleties of how they're delivering things. I didn't even pick up on that until it was pointed out. Uh, So that's, that is really interesting. Speaking really quickly about uh, John Delancey and and also the, the watcher, Mm -hmm. uh, which we haven't talked about. I was, uh, and this is my ongoing criticism with Picard and 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 Discovery to to a much smaller extent is the uh, leaving their names in the opening credits. Just really, for me, I, I really wish that they wouldn't do that. I really wish that just the main cast would just be in the opening credits consistently, mm-hmm. and then they would end the show with like guest starring or a special appearance by. Yes especially what you're saying, Mike, if it's a special appearance by like, how long was John Delancey in this episode? Right. How long was Orla Brady in this episode? You know, I would have loved to have had, and I had forgotten. I, as I watched it the second time today, I had forgotten about the ending. I'd Mm kind of gotten to the, in my mind to the place where they're about to do something to stop the bus and I'd forgotten about the subsequent scenes or even the, the one with Picard. Um, but it was, re- it's really frustrating. Like it just leave it out. I would have rather seen Orla Brady's name at the end of the episode on the credits and just had no expectation that she was going to be in this episode. Well, I've, and- I've thought about that too. But however, I've also thought about, is there some kind of union contractual thing? That That's goes on what I was that? wondering. I'm just, I don't know because I don't know, but mm-hmm. is there some kind of Hollywood union SAG thing? I don't know. Yeah. yeah they, they have to do it. Yeah. They, they definitely have to do it based on, 
certain criteria because i mean you'd even look at like last season even in when discovery it's like some of the bridge characters on on there are not part of the main cast because they don't they don't meet certain requirements but then the guest mm-hmm. stars you know i kind of think back to like and i know i know i talk about star wars all the time but i mean george lucas when he put the credits at the end he got in a lot of trouble for doing that like they allowed it because it was happen. different yeah yeah they allowed him to do it in the new hope in a new hope but when he tried to do it in empire strikes back like he got sued by all the unions and paid mm. a ton of fines and all that other stuff so i know there is definitely some legality to depending on how the character is used and, and the billing like, yeah and, and it's mm. interesting too like how they even with the opening credits like certain um other behind the scenes people how they're put into those credits as well but then how they do the credits at the end there is definitely some mm-hmm. legality to it um that, that i'm pretty familiar with yeah, yeah that, tri- was- that tripped one of us up one week <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i guess i yeah i can see legally how it's important and and you know we want these actors to get the recognition that they deserve uh but for these for this episode specifically i think both of the actors came at the end of the show could have even been like go to credits and then do that scene, you know, after the credits, almost like a post credits, like oh, we're gonna uh, do Marvel. We're going Marvel now, huh? <laughs> yeah. Something like that, you know, just something where uh, that would have been, you know, I mean, I was still equally shocked that Laris is the watcher. Is she and, though? It, right. It, I mean, is she correct? Um, but it's definitely uh, a very interesting development in this mm-hmm. season's. Uh, At the very least, it's a Laris lookalike. <laughs> well, yeah. You got yes. to understand, though, too, is, you know, that that watcher was going from body to body. So mm-hmm. it may be a case of the watcher is a physical representation of whoever that person wants it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, we think of. You know, we talk about how Picard, you know, he longs to be with Laris. Maybe that's who he wants the Watcher to be. So that's, you know, if that Watcher <laughs> became, became present to, let's say, Rafi, maybe it would be Evan Evagora. Maybe, you know, maybe it would be <laughs> Elnor would be the Watcher. Oh, yeah. Right? No, that's a really I, good I point. Or if Girardi was meeting the Watcher, maybe it would be the Borg Queen or Bruce Maddox. We right it could represent yeah, yeah. that one thing that you're longing for or that you're you're missing so we don't know if that's okay. actually the physical representation that that might just be picard's interpretation of it yeah that's a good prediction so, Jamie. okay so what stood out to me yeah in this episode of course guys uh the young whoopee and just about every other line she said mm-hmm. uh, stood out to me what really hit me in it in well a couple of lines hit me in the chest, but the one that really hit me in the chest was they traded hoods for suits. That hit me like no other line I had heard in a while. And also they got this tiny planet in the galaxy mm-hmm. and all they want to do is fight. You know, the you know, what's going on at literally now, today. And yeah. also the fact that she said, you know, there are few who have, you know, resources and everything, 
And I, I connected. I'm not, you know, going to say what I think she was talking about or who she was talking about. But, you know, it involves mm-hmm. space travel. Let's put it that way. That yeah. That's what came to my brain. Folks' greatest fear is having less. Less. Yep. Yes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody's writing their tails off here, mm-hmm. you know. And, and then when she he said, you know, you just have to have patience. You have to have patience. And when she said to him, you know, people look like you can have patience, not people who look like me, you know. And I'm personally thinking about the lady, and I should know her name, the new um, Supreme Court Justice nominee, and what she's going through now. You know, this woman is, but never mind. But, you know, patience, you know. No, uh, Fred, I, I, I want to hear what you have to say about it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, this, is, this, this woman is eminently hey. qualified to mm-hmm. be a Supreme Court justice. She's, I mean, she's, she's tops, you know, because I don't think he would have picked her if she wasn't. And yet she's got what I think these mediocre men questioning her qualifications. Mm-hmm. This woman has been a jurist for years. She, you know, and she's it's like a witch there, hunt. Yes. For, for where, whereas there's no witch, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and and they're sitting there trying to pick this woman apart and they really don't have the, you know, she's she's resilient, she's smart, she's intelligent. And but Cory Book, Cory Booker bore her to tears by being compassionate to her because she's going through all this stuff with these mediocre guys. And she looks like me. I look like her. Mm-hmm. They look like Patrick Stewart. You know, and that's yeah. not to say I'm not saying that all white men are bad. That is not what I'm saying. But I, when when she said that, that those hearings immediately came to, to mind because that lady is me. That's my mm. sister that's sitting there in that chair taking all that rough from these mediocre men. You know, mm-hmm. so and I really admire her patience and her integrity for going through what she's going through and she shouldn't have to. So mm. um, good, good tie in friend. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I just, it, it's, it's, it's automatic. Um, whether you all know it or not, you know, with black women, well, black, you know, with black women, that the stuff that we can, we have to go through, you know, cause I remember, um, when the measure of a man, when movie yep. was sitting there, at the bar talking to him and he was saying, you know, she said, yeah, you know, the people that you can throw away. And, mm-hmm. and, and whenever I see that, that gets me too. Mm-hmm. And he says, you're talking about slavery. And he said, well, she says it goes more than that, but she, what, what they wrote for him when she said it and how she said it really rings true. You know, the people that mm-hmm. do the dirty jobs and just, I'm done. I, I can't talk right now, but it brought me back to that. When Guyana was talking to him, you know, when they was, you know, y'all know Measure of Man, one of the best mm-hmm. episodes ever in TNG. Uh, shout out to Melinda Snodgrass for that. But um, I see it, you know, we we tend to look at Star Trek or, or we tend to look at the situations a bit differently because we're on the other side and we're not blaming all white people, we're not. 
Mm-hmm. It's just the, the truth. The truth of the matter is here, here, here we are in the 20, what are we, 20, whatever century we're in. And we're fighting. We're fighting. We're Amongst each other. Yes, with each mm-hmm. other. And it's not just, I'm not just talking about global, I mean, not just domestically, but globally. We're mm-hmm. fighting, you know, and I sometimes wish that there were, that's, that the Vulcan, somebody would land and we would, could we, re, could we re, reunite, unite as a world? Could we do it? I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, so. and and you think too, um, Guinan's character. If, if if you tie in times arrow to this whole equation, I mean, she's been on the Earth for hundreds of years, and she's in this episode. She's just really at her lowest point. Mm-hmm. She's just like, like I am so done dealing with these people. Basically, us as humans right now. Mm-hmm. I'm so done with these stupid people that can't get along and you know, we've got enough food to feed every person on the planet, but yet, you know, one out of three yeah. children are starving on the earth mm-hmm. and we've got enough money for everybody to, but yet we still have homeless people. It's like, she's like, I'm just done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't process it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, she's at such a low point. And it, like I said, it's very different from, where she was in times arrow. And it's very mm-hmm. different of where, she, where she is when she's on the enterprise D, but it's like, it's real. It's, it's where she's yeah. at right now. Emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know what? I know that's kind of heavy and I want to put this in there. Whenever I, I'm going to change the, the whole motif here. Whenever I see somebody get tased, and I know it's painful and everything, but it is so hilarious to me when people get tased on TV. When he, when that, I, when he got tased and he fell and he was trembling and stuff, I was, I lost it because it's so uh, funny. Because I've seen people get tased on cops and all, you know, all yep. that. I'm like, no, they didn't tase him. Now he's trembling and all that stuff. But I had to put that in there. That was a, that was a funny part, really funny part to me. And I was glad he really wasn't tased, but he, it was hilarious. It really was. Thank, thank you for bringing that back, Fran, because I wasn't yeah. sure how I was going to follow you after, <laughs> after that. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you brought my spirits up a little bit because, because uh, I, 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 I have to agree with everything that you said. Um, there was a, there was a few different things, not even, not even focused on Guinan, but when you, um, when you go back to the, uh, ice detention center that Rios was in and he's talking to the other detainee there in Spanish. And he says, they make you swear allegiance. That's hardcore. And, you know, it's one thing you would think for someone who was born and raised in a country for that country to then tell you to swear allegiance to it. It's another thing for a person that is either visiting or is transplanted to the country to demand that. And you can see what, what it is that, you know, the point that he was trying to get across there and they're being detained at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're being detained and that's on the wall, essentially kind of telling them, look, if you, if you do this, maybe we'll let you go. 
But if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna abide by our ridiculous notions of how things should be, then, you know, what's going to happen to them. It's not even deportation because in some, from what uh, that ice officer was saying, you know, deportation would almost be better for these people because they're getting sent to a sanctuary district. And we know from past tense that those are the people that are forgotten. Um, I think the, the girl in the clinic at the beginning said that, you know, once ice gets you, you disappear, you know, you're no longer, you're not going to be found. So, you know, that, that, uh, that kind of hit me there. Um, but, uh, did anybody else pick up on the fact that, uh, in the, uh, pre-credit sequence that we found out Picard's heritage and how he goes from why it is that we have a French man with an English accent. Uh, he, <laughs> he talked about uh, the tunnels underneath Chateau Picard and how Chateau Picard had been uh, taken over by the Nazis during uh, World War II and the Picards escaped to England. So, hey, now we know why an Englishman, Patrick Stewart, is playing a Frenchman, Jean-Luc Picard, and it all makes sense. It's all been explained to us. But, however, they tried to explain that in that really terrible, I can't even think of the name of the episode, where Data <laughs> told him, um, well, you know, French just got passé. It just went, it, it, it went obsolete. You yep. know, and the look on Patrick Stewart's face <laughs> was, was was like, oh my god! The, the the one where they had the black folks acting foolish. Um, it was in that oh, episode yeah. that he tried mm-hmm. to explain uh, that uh, that's how French, why he spoke uh, English instead of French, even though he was French. It, so I'm like, okay, they're gonna forget that part. Okay. Yeah, it's funny because I I was thinking about that as soon as that point was made like how uh, the line that he had uh, where they were talking about the colors on the flags and how uh, he said, you know, the United States had uh, red, white, and blue, whereas the French more appropriately had blue, white, and red. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, That was hilarious. Um, Yeah. That, that ice officer was a real winner, wasn't he? Just, he did have a Ferengi face. He did. Yeah. He did. You just, you were hoping that, that Rios at some point was going to be able to turn on him and just give him a whipping because that guy deserved it. He just mm-hmm. deserved a good beating. Uh, I, I have in my notes here that uh, Luna was the star of the show in 10 forward. She was such a cute, cute pup there. Um, the time sickness that, uh, Guinan had that kind of echoes back to, um, yesterday's enterprise. I thought because, uh, because Picard told her that it's something that's uniquely Elorian, something that they experience when time is amiss. And, uh, again, I'm going to go with something I saw on Twitter that, um, Somebody said she is a younger version of Guinan at this point. So she wouldn't have learned how to deal with that. And it would still make her sick. Whereas, you know, 
300, 400 years in the future, maybe she's experienced it a few times and has adjusted. And that's why, you know, we don't see Whoopi puking in the corner in yesterday's enterprise. Um, Terry Metalis, Jamie, the executive producer, he actually explained uh, the Times Arrow thing the same way that uh, that David Mack did. He said that that is the reason why Whoopi doesn't know, because these guys, our current characters were replaced their counterparts in this divergence of time. And so when they get sent back to 2024, that existence of the whole time zero scenario never happened. And so that's why Guinan doesn't know who he is. Um, um, that makes sense. It, it, yeah. You know, it's still, like I said, you, you're just trying to, cause mm-hmm. I, cause I, I, I go back to time zero and I go back to like back to the future too. And I'm trying to kind of right. wrap yeah. my head around, you know, the, the hey. divergence in time. Hey, just remember Janeway said that uh, temporal mechanics will, uh, <laughs> will give everyone a headache. <laughs> I, I mean, they, they obviously picked the right director because she was very familiar oh, yeah. with time travel, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, they definitely picked the right one. Did you all scratch your heads when he said his name to her? Did it look like it, it looked, she seemed like she knew who he was or that name should be significant to her. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. that was where, cause like she wasn't giving any, you know, like, like when he said you're an Elorian, you know, that kind of perked her interest that she knew mm-hmm. something was up. But to your point, the second he said, I'm Jean-Luc Picard. She that stopped. Pushed it over the edge to, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can trust this person. Yeah, and they never really kind of explained that either. So, you know, there it was just this sudden shift in her demeanor and she tells him to get in the car. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I hope that we'll get a little more explanation of that. And and I actually hope that we will see young Guinan again at some point. I, I hope so too. I hope so too. Because she 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 did a marvelous job uh, mm-hmm. of portraying the younger uh younger Whoopi. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, because at first I was like, oh, okay, what is this? You know, and then I'm, and then mm-hmm. as she as it went on, I'm like, okay, thumbs up, girl, you got this. Yeah, you know. even her mannerisms and everything. I watched um, uh, the Ready Room for this episode, and she said that she went back and she studied. Well, she said she started to study specifically just the episodes that Whoopi was in, and she found herself down a rabbit hole where she ended up watching, rewatching all of Next Gen when she was preparing for the part. I thought, man, you know what? I, I could I could handle a job like that where I need to uh, study Star Trek in order to do my work. <laughs> I, I find it amazing that they have these uh, stars and and these directors and production people for the most part who are Trekkies, you know, mm-hmm. some of you, know, most of them are like, yeah, I watched it. You know, I watched the, the ones in syndication, of course, I'm not, I'm glad to be on Star Trek, you know, and, and Leah Thompson, I was like, oh, okay, she knows Star Trek. You know, I, I, I'm amazed that we got so many, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Trekkies out there in the business. 
like to take a moment to talk about Fansets, the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Fansets is the home of amazing pin collectibles. The quality of the merchandise they put out is second to none. It's not just Star Trek that they offer, as they have something for all different types of fandoms, including Scooby-Doo, DC Comics, Batman 66, Harry Potter, and Rick and Morty. And as you all know, Fansets releases new pins twice a month. Um, we had some wonderful releases back on March 15th, uh, where we saw some nice micro crew, including Luxana Troy, Adira from Discovery Season 3, um, and, and then also... The Cetacean Ops um, crew member, Mr. Lieutenant J.G. Matt, the Beluga Whale from Lower Decks. And obviously, we're looking forward to traveling to Mission Chicago next month, and there'll be three special pins released for this event. So please keep watching uh, fansets.com for all these special pins and also the 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins, including the Delta's Done Right collection, as well as micro crew pins episode pins and many other great designs so please go to fansets.com and put a whole bunch of pins into your cart as a listener to the show you can receive 10 percent off your next order from fansets by using the code discovering trek at checkout and remember that you receive free shipping in the u.s on orders of 30 dollars or more fansets our pins have character and we thank fansets for being the presenting sponsor of discovering trek and the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Sometimes we joke when we reach this point in the episode, uh, the overall message or how maybe we interpret it, what it can teach us about ourselves or humanity. Uh, and sometimes the joke is really just because it's hard to always pick something that the, that the episode is telling us, but I don't think that we had that problem this week. Um, so I believe in the rotation, it is Jamie's turn to lead off. It's well, it's kind of funny because we keep using that word allegory and I actually used allegory in my notes saying that it, you know it was an allegory for what's taking place in our time but i guess like you guys keep mentioning throughout this episode it's really hitting us in the face there's not much secret or hidden about it but you know really it, it this this episode is an exact example of the challenges that we're currently facing and you know that expression that was used in this episode changes always come later than you think is really powerful a really powerful message. And, and I think the writers are telling us that if we don't change our ways right now in our modern day, we are never going to reach that future that's talked about in Star Trek. We're never going to reach that future where we are seeking out new life forms and new civilizations because we can't get it right here on earth right now. So the question is, what will the future bring? If we keep going the way we're going, we're going to, to turn into that totalitarian government that we see in the alternate future. So instead of going out to seek new life, to seek new organizations, the second we meet an alien, we're going to be killing them because we as humans can't figure it out right now. And we're killing humans right now. We're killing other races other people that have different ideas than we do or who look different or 
you know, I, I could go in any different directions, but they're, they're saying that if we keep going the way we're going, we're going to be that alternate timeline uh, that, that we see in the future. That's all I got. <laughs> it was a lot. Thanks. Uh, Fran, how about you? Jamie, you know, just hit the nail on the head. I, I, I don't think I can add any more to that. You know, um, I was sitting there looking and I'm like, oh my gosh, we're not going to make it. That that was my trend when I was, that was the overall thing. If we keep on the way to, that we're on, on the trajectory that we're on now, we're not going to make it. We're going to fall by the wayside because we can't even get it right right here on earth. We can't even get it right among the whole the planet and mm-hmm. among countries. And so, you know, I, I, I'm glad to be, you know, a Trekkie because I think for the most part, we look at the future with Trek colored eyes and we hope for the future as Gene thought that we could do this. I don't know. Mm. There, are, there are days. Changes. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's hope let's hope something changes. And 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 I know it's cliche, but you know we got to be that change. Uh, at that. Mm-hmm. Mike, Jamie stole my quote, but uh, I'm still gonna. So you know, Jamie, now I feel for you because you uh, did you, it to me. I could do I it to you. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play here, but uh, I think that out of everything that is said in this episode and there are so many uh powerful lines delivered by Guinan and uh Picard in this uh episode I do agree that the the Picard quote change always comes later than we think it should is probably one of the most powerful quotes I've heard in Star Trek in a long time and as I was watching this episode I identified with Guinan I identified with that hopelessness and uh, that frustration and that, like, if if Guinan has an extra seat on her ship, I'll be more than happy to go on it with her. Um, because it is, uh, you know, it is very frustrating, which is probably why I watch very little news. Uh, it's it's never anything that, that uh, is uplifting. It's rarely anything that says that we're making progress as a human species, uh, helping one another even when leaders from other countries are begging for our help, we are um, not present. We are doing something else. We are ignoring what is being said directly to our faces uh, through words and through actions. And uh, as I continued to watch the episode and felt that hopelessness that Guinan embodies, I began to see Picard as the person who's bringing hope to this world. Uh, And it really was powerful for me to realize that Picard is saying, yes, you know, changes always come later than we think it should, but he was, he remained hopeful. He remained that ever present, like, we need you to stay here again. And we need you don't leave earth too soon. Um, don't give up on us. And, uh, you know, by the end of that sort of interchange, when, you know, she leaves him with the, the first of, 
first of the watchers uh, takeovers, you know, I, I began to feel hope that the hope that Picard embodies the hope that you can, we can make this feature better. Uh, this, and, and for me that, that brought it right back to the theme of Star Trek, right? The idea that the feature can be better. The feature will be better. We just need to take an active part in making that change happen. And, uh, so, you know, while we get mired down in, in the feelings that Guinan embodies for us in a lot of ways, especially as Trek fans, uh, I think it's important to really listen to Jean-Luc Picard and have hope that the future can change. And that's what we should be looking to do. Just going to say that great minds think alike. Um, because the first thing in my notes here is change always comes later than we think it should, but I'm actually going to add a caveat to that change always comes later than forget the, we think change always comes later than it should. Um, you know, as, as a species, humans have always, been more reactive than proactive. Um, so those changes always only happen after something blows up in their face. Um, so I was brought up in a house where my parents raised me that the color of your skin didn't matter. Uh, what, you what you did as a person uh you know your how, how can i say this how you are portrayed by others didn't matter but what really mattered is how you acted the type of person uh, that you were and that was what determined who was a better person than someone else someone who acts in the way of good is obviously better than someone that acts in the way of bad. And, you know, the bad can take on as many faces as the good. And it doesn't matter if it's my face or Fran's face or George Takei's face, either any of us could be on either side of that line, good or bad. You still have to give the bad a chance until they prove themselves to not be worth that chance the good is the side that you want to be with and i think at this stage in my life i'm in my 40s um for a long time i never realized how bad things were until i became an adult and started looking at how things were i think so many people for so long thought that in 2022 life would be so much better that you would be closer to that world that Gene started thinking of in 1964, 1966, and continued on in the 80s with Next Gen. And it's interesting as I go back and I listen to the history of Star Trek on audiobook, so many people of the time complained about how paradise like TNG was because there was 
know um, um, inner struggle, no drama. Everyone was happy with each other and friendly, but isn't that better than what we're dealing with today? You know, wouldn't everybody trade what we see now in a heartbeat for forget about the technology part just for the sense of being able to get along with each other and not caring what somebody looks like or what they do when they enter their house, but who they are as a person. And I I do see exactly what you were saying, Mike, about Picard say, you know, having that glimmer of hope and trying to share that with Gein and to not give up, you know, can people work together and hold out hope for that change to happen? Yeah, I think so. I think humans have been doing that for many years and it's been, I think highlighted even more since, uh, since the sixties with JFK and Martin Luther King and really making a push for change. Uh, But it's been a long time. (laughs) When's the change going to happen? I'm in my mid sixties, gentlemen, and I've seen a lot. Okay. I was born and raised in the South and, you know, there was progress. There was so much progress, you know, and then I want to say, you know, I'm, I'm saying it last. Okay. I don't want to blame. I'm not one. I don't want to put the blame on one person Mm -hmm. because it's not one, one person can't do all this. Because mm-hmm. that one person has to have allies who go along with this. So, um, you know, we I think we made progress with, you know, the, the, the queer community. You know, we, we did that. You know, people were able to be who they were and love who they love and all that. We made progress. And I'm, sh- I'm shocked they didn't try to roll that back. But um, um, these last few years... I'm shocked all over again because I, I I just wish some of my ancestors had been here for Barack Obama and what that meant to us. And then after Barack Obama, I think, and, and he wasn't perfect, but after him, things just kind of rolled back. And that's what I thought about when she said they replaced the hoods with suits. So I've seen a lot in this world. I came up age in the 70s, but I've, I've I've seen a lot and let's hope it gets better. But I bet I'm a TOS. I'm a uh, original Trekkie. You know, I started looking at Trek when I was 11 years old with Miss, uh, Miss, Miss Nichols up there. And, and that was amazing to me because Whoopi Goldberg and I are like a year apart in age. So I know when she said, Oh, look, come, there's a color lady on TV. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know, so let's see what it happened. But, it's, it may, it may, uh, there may be something up the road. We just got to have patience, as he says. Patience, yep. we, Yes, we, we got to have patience because we can't change anything anyway. Well, it's hard uh, for people uh, that, that have the type of heart to want to see the good in people. Yeah. Regardless of who they are. Oh, hey. 
This is this is round table. We are having conversation. <laughs> yeah, Fran, I really appreciated you bringing up the the progress of, of the queer community. Uh, but as we're seeing in Florida and other places, you know, there there's some backtrack on that as well, and, and in Texas, and uh, I think now the focus is even more importantly on on kids and, and specifically trans kids who are who are going to suffer for what we're doing, what some places are doing to these parents and to these teachers and to these kids. And so, you know, I feel like in some ways we, we take a step forward and then we take two steps back and, and it feels like this constant um, battle. And, you know, I, I think over the last couple of years, certainly since, you know, 2020 and you know the the really the surgence of uh, Black Lives Matter coming into the forefront of the news. Uh, you know we're continuing to fight for for our future every day, and I think that the the future that we hope to build and the, the one that we hope that Star Trek will embodies and and will become uh, is is a not just a, a generational fight, it's a daily fight. You know, it's not something that we can give up on at any time. And, and it's clear that we can't because people are trying to take us backwards and we need to continue to fight and step forward and uh, be the voices out there of change and uh, encourage people to get involved, to vote, to you know specifically the trek community every anyone who's a trek fan should be out there voting and um even in the off elections because those are the ones that actually can really make mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh can make an impact so yeah i think that you know change comes I, I like what you did there mike with change comes later than it should um but i also want to say that change comes change isn't going to come unless we fight for it every day. You know, I was thinking too, as you, as you guys were talking as well as, you know, back when Gene Roddenberry was thinking about this vision, you know, he really was thinking a lot about technology as well and how we were going to make all these great advances in technology as the future came and it was going to push people together and it was going to make things easier. It was going to, you know, and, and, the sad part for me too, is to look out and see that, yeah, the technology has gotten so much better over the years, but people have gotten worse. Mm-hmm. It's like the technology has made people worse. It's made people lazier. It's made people greedier. You know, all these things that are supposed to make our lives easier so that we can be better people and support people better and connect with people better and faster and easier. It, it's just done the, the opposite. It's made people, it's made things more expensive and made people more greedier and made people more like a bully. And it's just all these things that, you know, once again, are designed for technology to, to make this place better. You can't change the people that are in there. And it's, it's just, that's, that's the part that's most discouraging. And I think like if, if, you know, if Gene were to be alive or, anybody thinking along his vision would say like, like it would be discouraging, you know, like I said, Mm -hmm. that how the technology hasn't made us better or look at things better or, 
things are more expensive than they've ever been. Gas prices are crazy. Oil prices are crazy. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, we've got everything at our fingertips, but yet we, we can't, we can't feed people. It's just, it's, it's discouraging. I think it all boils down to, uh, I think what we've all been saying here that, uh, you know, does, does politics screw with things? Sure it does, but it all boils down to who you are as a person. You know, I'm not a political person, but as a person, and of course I don't know him personally, but as a person, Barack Obama seemed like the kind of guy I'd want to go out and get a beer with and just chat with, (laughs) you know, Um, he seemed like a decent guy that was the type of person that would chat with anybody. Whereas the last one that we had in this country, um, he just forget again, let's forget about the politics side. Forget about, you know, what party he was and what he did here as a person. He seemed like a jerk. And that was before that was before he was even a presidential candidate, let alone a president. Um, he didn't even he didn't even have a dog. How can you not have a dog oh, in the White House? Well, how can you just not have a dog? Forget about in the White how House. Can you, how, how can you, you know, be a person you, and not have a dog? Have, you know, or a cat. You know, for the cat, for the cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he didn't have any. He didn't mm-hmm. have any compa- animal companions. You know, so I'm like, and, oh. and again, this isn't this isn't saying one political party is better than another, because mm-hmm. I've heard I've heard from people on the Democratic side that have said when you look strictly at his political you know, the things that he accomplished as a president, it was a pretty decent presidency. However, when he started opening his mouth, that was what took everything downhill. Um, And that's why they will look at that term and say it was a failure. (laughs) Whereas, you know, Maybe there are some things that other presidents had not gotten accomplished. People look at, here's a great example, Jimmy Carter. People look at him. Not a good yeah. As a president, <laughs> not, but as a person, he was a great guy. Yeah. Still so, is. He's a humanitarian of, of the century. So, yes. So it doesn't always the political side of things does not always matter. It's because what type that's, of person are you? That's mm-hmm. part of the problem, though. Mm-hmm. To be successful in politics, you often have to to be and not a nice person, yep. or you have yep. to you have to bend the rules, or you have to lie, or you have to cheat, or you have to bully people, or mm-hmm. that that's that's the sad reality of the world that we live in right now. Yeah. Is that you can't be a good guy and be a good politician. You just can't because, because of the rules of the game, you know, and, and that's, mm. that's the part that's sad. That's the yeah. part that's sad. And that's it, that. And, and we all know that wasn't Gene's version of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Jamie, he, I want to go back. Oh, go ahead. Friend, finish. Go ahead. I, I mean, you know, I, I thought, you know, I thought his version of the future, first of all, embodied compassion. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. That's all I had to say was the compassionate part about it. I just wanted to say, I uh, go back to Jamie's comment about technology. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, technology has kind of brought up all of these negative facets of, of our culture and our, our, and the people in it. But I also have to say that on the flip side, we are talking across four different, three different states, four different locations, being able to broadcast our voice to anyone who has a, a mobile device or a computer who wants to download signal. Yep. Yeah. Who wants to download a podcast. Uh, so, you know, there are facets of technology. Yes. That are, are extremely have been used in a very negative way, but, and, and I, given the last couple of years that we've all been in, I mean, you know, people are over zoom Well, we are on zoom right now talking about Trek and about all these important things. And, uh, I, you know, as much as, as the negative is there, I look to the positive of what our level of technology has brought us to be able to do in this time and in this place and, and sharing the four of our voices, uh, Fran, I want to thank you for all that you've shared so far in this episode. Mm -hmm. It's just been an amazing perspective to have, uh, and, uh, a powerful perspective. And, uh, so you know, well, I think that those are the things that really the technology can uh, really enhance and, and bring us all together in that way. And, and you know, we, we did the the, the uh, telethon, the Trek Geeks Podcast Network and the Roddenberry mm-hmm. Podcast Network did the telethon for uh, the Hollywood Food Coalition and how amazing that turned out. For, you know, a three hour show turned into a seven hour show. You know, five thousand dollars turned into I don't know what's over seventy thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, there is a lot of good that our technology can and does do, and um, you know, we just need you know we need to stay with Picard's uh, vision of we can change this, stick with it, keep going, have faith, have hope, and just continue to move forward. Yeah. And I think we all, I, I think all four of us on here can remember when uh, you probably were bullied for being the guy that likes Star Trek or the girl that likes Star Trek. Like, let's look at our screen right now and see what Star Trek has done in bringing four incredibly different voices and personalities together. And agreeing on a lot of the same points and is it going to be perfect no of course not but can we talk civilly and still have disagreements yep because that's what it means to be a person uh to be a person with a heart and for all of you that might not like what we said you can direct your comments to Jamie Rogers at. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's that bus again, Jamie yep. rolling right over you. Yep. Back, up, back on up. He's not, yep. pun- not going to be playing punk on the bus. He's going to be playing punk under the bus. <laughs> by, by the way, I think that these last, I don't know, 20 minutes of discovering track has probably been one of the most powerful discussions I've had in a long time, just about the, 
present and the future. And uh, I just want to call that out. I mean, mm. I honestly, we, we should probably stop recording right now and just call it quits because I don't think we're going to get any better. It than can that. only go down from downhill from here. Right. <laughs> But then we wouldn't have the prediction section, Mike. <laughs> which is which is where it's all going to go downhill. <laughs> Starfleet Command is proud to present you the Christopher Pike Medal of Honor. All right. Well, let's move forward. Uh, so we have our award round. Um, and since I have failed to uh, be the leadoff hitter at all here, I will go first. And uh, I think... We're all going to be similar in this regard uh, with Ido Aguirre. Um, she nails it as a younger Guinan. Uh, forget about the look because they did a really good thing with her hair, making her very much a younger Guinan without the hat to, to cover up the beautiful locks. All right. But her study was fantastic because she had a lot of whoopies mannerisms in the way she acted. Um, the way she spoke had a lot of whoopies inflections in it. So I, I don't care what people have to say about recasting and this and that the casting directors for the current star Treks have been nailing it so far in recasting of beloved characters because they're finding people that care about what they're doing and are doing the homework to make sure that the, that the way they're doing it is spot on. Number two, uh, Santiago Cabrera. Uh, the performance of him in the ice detention center ranged from him being incensed to him having compassion and showing uh, the lighter side of Rios when uh, he was talking to uh, uh, Teresa. I can't remember what her last name is, the doctor. Um, and then the funny side of him as he talked to the ice officer and told him exactly who he was. And you know, I know we mentioned that already, but just it, it had the shades of Star Trek two, uh, Star Trek four rather. Uh, but at the same time, like just the delivery of that speech, I, I thought was hilarious. You know, I couldn't stop laughing, uh, looking at that. And then finally, uh, this writing team for this episode, uh, I'll call them out again, uh, because they did a great job. Uh, I was Juliana James, Jane Mags and Travis Fickett. Uh, all working together to uh, write this in teleplay or story form. Um, I mentioned it already. There's a lot of great callbacks and Easter eggs in this episode, but again, being used to tell a good story right down to, you know, Jamie mentioned the uh, city on the edge of forever references with the 21st street mission. I mean, that helps tell the story of what, Picard and Guinan are talking about in that scene. I mean, it, it just works. So uh, it's perfect for what the, they were trying to get across here. All right, Mike. Well, um, I, I agree with you on Ida's performance. She was amazing. Uh, I, I hope we get to see more of her 
and in fact, I didn't even realize that she's been in some other shows that that I've watched, and she is my birthday twin. So super excited about that. Uh, her birthday is also June sixth. So you know who mine is, Michael Dorn. Oh, nice, nice. Mm. Uh, so I am a big fan of hers, and she's been in a, a few other shows that I've watched. But I, I now I have to go back and kind of find out what characters she she played. But uh, an amazing actress, and uh, really want to give a huge shout out to the producers for casting her in that role. Uh, you know, I I think that this this episode would not be what it is uh, without uh, director Leah Thompson. Uh, and and the way that she she did this show, uh, if you watch the Ready Room, you hear a lot about her fandom in Star Trek. You also hear about how shooting a block of two episodes, so you can learn a little bit about the directing process, which makes sense given that if you're on a set and you have some scenes from the set in, in one episode, and you have some scenes in from that set in the next episode, it makes sense to do them in a block like that. But balancing that as a director is is you know in fact the the way that she explains it is that because they were doing these kind of block episode um directing gigs that's how she sort of got the the job was she was recommended to terry metallis uh by uh i forget she's she directed some episodes of star girl and so uh because they do the same sort of thing with block block directing um that's partly how she got the the um the gig i mean her name alone would want me to would want me to hire her but um but she did an amazing job with this and uh the cast seemed to really enjoy her presence there and you know tra a, a time traveler herself doing the directing i think is is pretty awesome uh the my final well my final award it goes to and i don't know who chose it this week you know i don't know if it's so partly it goes to jeff russo for the music certainly some of the next gen undertones and some of the scenes is really key but i i had um i had the uh, closed captioning on on my on my screen the second time and i love it because they put the words to the music that were played in the background and so obviously you know we see we hear the music from the bus which is very powerful and very you know is is adapted for the times now uh but also if you go back and listen and turn on the closed captioning and listen to the music as picard comes into uh 10 forward uh it's also very poignant and and spot on so um, obviously these aren't Jeff Russo songs, but, uh, kudos to him or to, uh, you know, and I didn't do the, the research to find out who the musical coordinator, whether Jeff picks all the music or not. So I apologize, uh, to whomever might do this as, as part of their role uh, on production, but great job with the, the musical choices this week, really across the board. And finally, I just want to give a huge shout out, uh, Mike, you already did it, but, uh, Bonus bonus award to Luna for her performance in. Oh this yeah, episode. perfect! I love it. Uh, Jamie. Well, obviously, a lot of you know awards that have already been in, been covered, um, but I I will I will say my my awards section was really enhanced by watching the Ready Room. I would say, <laughs> um, obviously, 
Ito Aguirre. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Um, and the reason I picked her too, and like I said, I was very critical of her when I initially saw the episode, the first time I saw it. And, you know, the, the more I watch it, the more I reflect on it, the more I watch things like the ready room. Um, I, I was being too critical of her, you know, it's tough shoes to fill. It's whoopee freaking Goldberg, you know, no one was going to be able to do it justice to what I felt it was, should, it should be. But yet the more, like I said, I reflect on it and, and look at the dedication and how she studied the role and, you know, the, the genuine, her earnestness to get it right. Um, she has grown on me and she grew on me more, like I said, watching the ready room. So I, I'm going to give her props. Um, just like I said, I, I, I wasn't going to be happy with whoever they picked, but you know, she, she did a really good job. Um, so she's number one. I'm going to go with Leah Thompson as number two. Um, and once again, my, I, I always love Leah Thompson. I, I mean, I loved her in back to the future, but once again, my appreciation for what she did in the process of being a director and, and, and how she feels about Star Trek was all enhanced watching that ready room episode, the behind the scenes, look at her directing and how the actors really felt like she was an actor's director and really understood what they were going through on the set and, and ways to make them feel more comfortable, um, really deepened my appreciation for Leah Thompson even more so. So, um, that's why I pick her as number two. Um, the third one, and I don't know really who to give credit for, but I thought the, and I know this was mentioned in the ready room too, as well, but the, the bar, um, 10 guidance bar, I thought was, was decorated very nice as well. After I watched the ready room episode, just kind of seeing it and picking it out the second or third time, um, you know, really kind of hit the theme and the mood, um, of, of what a bar from, from Whoopi in that time period should look like. Um, and I'm going to, th- I'm going to give one more special shout out Kirk Thatcher on the bus. Thank you. Did a tremendous job. So not only did one person cheat in the awards section, two of you did. I, I, <laughs> oh, that's it. Cheating. Taking- Wait, uh, I thought that's doing your homework. Uh, I'm taking away one of your awards for next week. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, all right, Fran. Well, of course, you know, um, what all of you said, you know, um, the young lady that played um, the young movie uh, was fantastic. Just she hit it out of the park. I think Allison Peel playing with Stuart and, and, and the boy queen, she holds her own. You know, I'm like, this woman got it. She, she, she's got it. She's really a great actor. I think. Um, what else? Um, well, of course, Luna. Luna was adorable. Mm-hmm. She was just I wanted to just pick her up and kiss her on the on the side of her cute jaws. Uh huh. J A W S. Okay. And we all know Patrick's love for you know pities. Yep. So that was a. Uh, I'm sure that was his doing. So um, I just, so you know. So cute. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, and my, my other one was the comedy relief, I would say, of uh, Raffi and um, 
um, seven. And seven was such a bore. You're doing your job and everything. We're going to get out of your personal space. And I'm like, she's <laughs> such a bore. You know, she's such a bore. And I thought that that was, you know, I, I thought it was funny. I kind of needed that in that episode, I thought. So, um, yeah, this, uh, that's it. That's all my awards thing. But who cannot, if you don't, you, you got to be inhuman if you you can't love Luna, you know? Right. I was watching with my daughter and I said, look at that tongue. That tongue oh. is fantastic. She's standing there at the table and it seemed like it was halfway down her neck, but it was, I was just like, that is so great. So adorable. <laughs> Library computer data being received. All right. It is prediction time. Now in fairness to Fran, I am not going to put her on the spot for the first predictions on this episode. We'll, we'll let that be a second episode thing for her. So let, we'll, uh, we'll give it to Jamie for his prediction. My prediction is really focused on the blonde at the end of the episode. Um, obviously, I think she is the divergence and she is somehow connected to Picard. Uh, she might be an ancestor. Um, I see some eerily similar characteristics mannerisms to Picard's actual mother in her. Um, and I kind of also hearken back to that speech that Picard delivered back at Starfleet Academy, where he was talking about his, one of his ancestors, Renee Picard, I think was the name that he used. Um, so I think she might be Renee Picard or she might be somebody that's closely connected to Renee Picard, maybe Renee's mother something to that effect, but I'm going to go with that. I think she is Renee. And I think, you know, Q was obviously reading that article about that Europa mission to explore Jupiter. So I think that she's obviously heavily connected to that article that he's reading that maybe she's going to go on that mission. The fact that she's reading a Dixon Hill novel by Tracy Torme makes me think she's definitely a Picard because, you know, it's going to run in the family. They like Dixon Hill. It's going to be something that uh, kind of runs, runs in the family. A lot of um, subtle signs there. Yeah. A lot of subtle signs that she's got to be a Picard. And um, I think that the fact that she's a Picard, maybe that's why Q can't, you know, snap his finger and do anything to her, you know, somehow, you know, she's because she's the linchpin or the divergence. And because of the relationship with Picard, he can't, you know, obviously the easy way for him to fix, to screw up the timeline would be just get rid of her, kill her off, you know, and for some reason he can't just snap his finger and do that. So I think, I think a lot of these signs point to that. She is Renee Picard or a Picard like ancestor. I had forgotten that whole speech about Renee Picard in uh, episode one. Huh? Interesting. I, it's probably because when I hear the name Rene Picard, I think of his nephew. <laughs> and, and I think I, I think that was on purpose to throw mm. us off because we all are going to think it must be talking about a male character. Yep. Because his nephew and mm. maybe that's them trying to throw us off and say, no, nah, you think it's a male Rene. It's this blonde female in a red dress or whatever, whatever she was wearing. All right, Mike, are your predictions different from Jamie? 
Uh, that's an amazing prediction, Jamie. I am impressed with that. That is uh, a great, great call out. I, that, uh, that's my goal in life to impress you, Mike Thurlow. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely my goal on every podcast. Well, you've done it, Jamie. So congratulations. Uh, then we'll start naming the, uh, Jamie Rogers awards, uh, in <laughs> the Jamie, in the, the Rogers prediction of- award. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I'm in double down, and uh, and I, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that uh, Girardi is going to be the board queen that we see in uh, 2400. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like um, I don't know. I, I I still have trouble with this scene where Picard, in his memory, is seeing his mother being dragged away, mm. and and I'm feeling like somehow the board queen has something to do with that. And uh, from the preview from next week, uh, you know, we start to see her tentacles start to get out of uh, get out of the ship a little bit. Um, and so I'm wondering what uh, and again, also, that sort of ties into this whole butterflies effect, which they keep on mentioning butterflies. So I'm wondering, I mean, at this point, there are so many butterflies out of whack in this mm-hmm. this universe i do not know how we're going to to fix it all uh so i i'm wondering if you know i i i've i can't remember maybe it was one of you guys last week thinking that uh rios is going to stay in the past uh that i uh that was another jamie rogers special right there wow um he yeah that man is on fire He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna take over your job, Mike. You're, you're, um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think that we're gonna see more butterflies. I think we've already seen enough butterflies to, to destroy the future at this point, but, or potentially knock the future off course anyway. So, um, so I'm, I'm anxious to see, but I, I think that I'm, you know, I think definitely Girardi is going to be underneath. All of that uh, that cool twenty four hundred board queen outfit. I have no fears of Jamie taking my job because early on in the uh, divine treasury process, he told me, "Nope, not interested." <laughs> maybe maybe he's coming for Bill and Dan's jobs. Then I don't know. There, no, I'll no. stir I'll stir the pot a little bit there. No, he speaks English too well. <laughs> Nice. Uh, Fran, do you have a prediction for this week? Or going forward, rather? Uh, I'm with you all. Um, I I pretty much think Gerard is is that the bull queen under all that stuff that that we saw in episode one. Mm. Um, I don't know. I I think that... um, the young whoop is going to stay. I don't think she's going to leave. You know, because this is, I mean, That's... she could leave because this is an alternate timeline mm-hmm. and she could just like leave Earth, you know, but mm-hmm. I think she's going to, I think we're going to see her again in, in some capacity. Nice. And I think it's going to be a crucial, uh, a crucial uh, capacity that we see her in because, um, and I know this is in real life, but, you know, in real life, he actually went to her job the view and invited her on to this show. So uh Whoopi has to, well Ganon, Ganon has to play some kind of crucial, um, uh, has to be uh instrumental 
in this thing too. So mm-hmm. um, that's my prediction. I'm going to double down on the whoopee thing. And well, the Guinan thing, I think just like in time zero, how Picard saved whoopee in time zero, I feel like later on in this season, there's going to be another spot where young Guinan is in trouble and Picard saves her again, you know, to kind of bring it full circle to this unique relationship that they have. Mm -hmm. So I'm doubling down on Guinan. The bald man that took care of her once. Mm-hmm. I'm going to triple down on that one and say that <laughs> she saves him. She saves them Ooh. somehow. Ooh. I'm going to I'm going to say that she feels guilty or she decides to get involved and does something to save them. I like I think Thurlow I, with the curveball. I mean, I like Jamie's. I'll give you that. Jamie, that is uh that you know, I think that that nice uh that nice piece might happen, but I, I think it's going to be slightly different. I think that she's going to save the bald man this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm nowhere near as creative as all of you. Uh, so I kind of took some of the leads that we got and everyone else seemed to agree with on this. The fact that when whoop, whoop when whoopee, Listen to me. When Guinan said to uh, Picard, uh, after he revealed who he was, she said to him, you're looking for a supervisor, a watcher. And, you know, right away, my ears perked up and I was like, ooh, assignment Earth, Gary 7, supervisor 194. Um, So the Laris lookalike we know is obviously the watcher. Um, but I'm feeling like she must be part of that organization that Gary seven was a part of. Um, I know it's pretty obvious, but you know, I'm a simpleton. So I, I go where I got to go. Now, kudos to you, Mike. I did not, I, I remember the supervisor comment, but I did not tie it back to, uh, to, uh, Gary seven. So nicely done. Yeah. I watched it at uh, like three in the morning. So I couldn't even jump out of my seat and start yelling. Ooh, 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 because I would have woke everyone in the house up. <laughs> okay. So that is our predictions. Where are we going next week? Well, next week, Picard discovers that an important person from his past may be integral to the divergence in the timeline. Q continues his manipulation of the timeline, taking an interest in Dr. Adam Soong. Seven and Rafi attempt a daring rescue of of Rios, while Gerardi faces the consequences of her deal with the Borg Queen. Episode five is entitled Fly Me to the Moon, and we'll be covering it here for you on Discovering Trek Picard. And don't forget that you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks podcast network by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. Get access to unedited audio of all our podcasts and a lot of other awesome perks. If you'd like to support this and the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks podcast network, beam on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks where subscriptions start as low as $2 a month. 
For more great Star Trek discussion, check out the aforementioned member podcasts on the network. In addition to discovering Trek, there is Trek Geeks, Rewind, Politrex, Five-Year Mission, Deep Space Pride, Drawn to Trek, Infinite Trek, The Divine Treasury, Sci-Fi Sisters, Science Station 2, with the first link and the newest addition to the network, ConPod, about Star Trek conventions. You can find all these shows and where to listen on trekgeeks.com slash listen or by downloading the Trek Geeks mobile app. The Trek Geeks podcast network. No one talks Trek like we do. So before I get into my typical review of uh, the episode, I just want to say to the three of you, this was one of the reasons that I enjoy podcasting so much this episode right here. Uh, the conversation that we had, I think was deep. It was meaningful and we all walk away friends at the end. So thank you for your participation in this. So it's great to see some connections to older Trek being used to drive the storyline, but what will Picard learn from the watcher? We'll have to find out next week to close this episode I'm going to quote Jean-Luc Picard from this episode. History's darkest moments can be a tipping point for change. And until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app.